Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It's Romans 8, 18. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. We love you. Help us to focus on you, God, to learn of you, to be changed and transformed into your very image, God. Speak to us and speak clearly. Give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up in Romans 8, and it's going to be a continuation of what we was talking about last week, about what happens after death. And the last week we was talking about that death is a certain thing, and, and, and death reminds us of our frailty and how weak we are as human beings. And it is wisdom for us to consider our end and, and, and to understand the fact that one day all of us are going to get up out of here. And that's a wise thing for us to do, to take it to heart. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, it's never too early to consider your end. And it's wisdom to do so. And in considering our end, last week we talked about how that immediately once we exit from this world, we shall enter into the world where our spirit goes either to be with God or away from God. That there is no immediate uh, intermediate place of, 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 of trial or no intermediate place like purgatory that either you're in the presence of God or you're robbed from the presence of God the moment you exit this earth. That that's the destiny for all human beings. And we talked about how even though that we enter into the presence of God immediately once we death that once we die but that is not the end. That there's coming a day of judgment. And that day of judgment does not happen as soon as you die. But there's a day where God shall gather all human beings before his throne and he shall judge us. And we have to stand before him. And that this place that we call hell itself will be destroyed. And God will cast those who fail judgment into the place called the lake of fire. And that death and hell itself will be cast into the lake of fire. And that this beautiful place that we all want to go to that we refer to as heaven. That it is not the end for us as human beings. Those who believe in Jesus, heaven is not our home. But it's an intermediate state into our new home. The new Jerusalem that Christ has prepared for us is, is made. That one day as children, as priests, as servants of God, we're going to be reunited with God. And live and dwell and reign and rule forever on this planet. A brand new heaven and a brand new earth God is going to recreate and we're going to live here. And this is our home. That we're not going to be floating on clouds playing harps. That's not our destiny. And we're not going to be transformed to some type of angels. That's not who we are. We shall be human beings living and dwelling with God for an eternity. And the question that becomes we're like, how would we be? Like, what type of people would we be? Would we be able to recognize ourselves? Would we be able to, to understand what is going on? And we talked a little bit about that last week when we looked at the story in Luke 16 about the man that was cast into hell. And we saw that his perception still worked. He could see, that he could feel, he had memory, he had understanding. And so all of his faculties that exist on this planet continue to exist after he died. But 
when we got to the end in Revelations 20 and 21, it talks about the dead being brought back to stand before God. So the question is, like, what what we going to be like? What is it that's going to take place at that time? And we're going to look at that a little bit. Go In Romans chapter 8, to set this thing up, starting in verse 18. It says, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Let's pause right there. We're going to read a little bit. So this is Paul. And he's making this thing. I reckon. See, that lets you know that ain't just some old country word that your grandma and them used to use. So he reached this conclusion. He reckoned. This is the way he think in his mind. So the conclusion is, is that the sufferings that we go through in this present world, say they cannot be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. So we have suffering now. This life is hard. This life is rough. It ain't always easy. And he's saying the things that we go through now, when we compare them to the glory that shall be revealed in the aftertimes, it's like there is no comparison. And how you get there, he said, because the creature itself, talking about all of creation, it's in a state of groaning. So the earth as we see it is not the earth that God made. He said, it's in a state of groaning. It's crying out. It's hurting. Because it was made subject to vanity. What do you mean by that? Is God has put this earth in a condition of uselessness, of waste. That's what's going on now. Things decay. Things die. And destruction and chaos is the order that we see now. The great beautiful sea that God made and put out there, the vastness of it. Sometimes it erupts and creates tsunamis and hurricanes. Because this earth is not in the condition that God made it to be in. So Paul referred to it as groaning. That the earth is not what it's supposed to be. Because it's waiting for the day that it shall be delivered from the corruption. So the decay and the chaos that it's made subject to now. One day God is going to deliver it from it. And he puts make this crazy statement. In verse 20. I mean 21. said because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So this earth that we know, this earth that we see, shall one day be redeemed, be delivered. And there's a liberty that he refers to as the glorious liberty of the children of God. So there's a liberty that's coming for us, the children of God, that this earth going to partake into. And this concept of this glorious liberty is the thing we're going to pick up on and watch as it flow throughout the rest of this. Said, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. And not only they, but also ourselves, also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man see it, why though he yet hope for it? But if we hope for what we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. So he's got this picture that there's coming a day, there's coming a time, the thing, the hope, the expectation that we got. God has given us his spirit. It's like that's the down payment. That's the promise of a future to come. 
the spirit being in you. And that future to come is the redemption of our bodies. That's what we're looking for. So it's coming a day that this dust bag that we call our bodies, this thing that we try so hard to hold on to, hair fall out, changing colors, and all that type of stuff that go on with this stuff, one day it's going to be redeemed. God has a special day coming to where he's going to do something awesome to these bodies. And that's what we're waiting for. And that's what the whole creation is waiting for. So our hope and our expectation is not to one day die and go to the sweet by and by and like I said, be sitting up floating on clouds playing hearts with little wings on your back. That's not what we got. I don't know where that come from, but they didn't get it from the scriptures. Our hope and our expectation is that this body that is dying and this body that is decaying, this body that is being corrupted and that's going to one day be buried in dust is going to be completely transformed. That God has a new recreation that's going to take place and it's the redemption of our body that when jesus died on the cross when we yielded our lives to him he saved our souls he transformed our spirit and filled us with the spirit of god but one day he's going to do the same thing for our bodies y'all are you are you with me so there's a day coming to where our bodies will be transformed let's get at this a little bit just for time skip down a little bit to verse 28 it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this is our destiny. God predestined for us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So this is Paul's hope. And he guns in this thing to what they call the glorious chain of redemption. So we get this picture. Said there's some people. The people who are called by God, all things work together for the good of those. And we're used to that. Everybody, that's the, the, the false hope and comfort that people give people when they go through hard times. Like stuff had, everything worked together for the good. God put it all there for your good and benefit. And that, that makes us supposed to make us feel better. But Paul continues this chain. And he's saying that these called people are justified. And these justified people shall be glorified. So this justification that we have is the transformation of our state with God. We've been talking about this. Every person that split the womb of a woman that was conceived by the seed of human beings is born in corruption. That all the beautiful children, we've got a lot of them in here. Beautiful. Beautiful children. But they are bad children. It's reality that the same blessed child that you get excited once you hear their first coos and you be laying in the bed and they laying out of you and they start making a little noise. Oh, he talking. He ain't said nothing. But you get excited. Then by nine months later, they start lying. 
<laughs> they go from cooing to lying. It's like, oh, Lord, what happened to these children? And now you're upset. Because evil dwells in our heart. Rebellion is within us. That's who we are as regular human beings. But thanks and praise be unto God that he does not leave us this way. That through the glorious death of his son, he redeemed us and he justified us. To justify means to make us righteous. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. And you, did you see what we're missing out? That glorious chain of redemption. He called us. He justified us. Then it goes straight to glorification. That's a whole nother conversation. We're going to get that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> he called us. He justified us. Then he's going to glorify us. So those people who get justified, one day you will be glorified. And this glorification is a transformation. It's a splendor that's going to take place within us. And it's a continuation of that same thought that Paul had earlier. That we're waiting for the glorious manifestation of the sons of God. So everybody in here, you have a hope, you have a destiny, and your destiny is that your body is going to be changed. Are y'all with me? Now we're going to drag this thing on out and get a little understanding. It's going to get a little murky. We're ready to go on. Glorification is going to take place. And a part of that glorification is the transformation of your body. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. Got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. It said, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body which that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God giveth it the body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now this is a complex piece of argumentation that we got here. And we're going to try to walk through it to make sure you understand it. So the question that Paul is trying to answer, that we're trying to get an understanding of, is if the resurrection is true, if it's one day we're going to rise and get up out the grave, his question is, what type of body will it be that comes up? That's the question that he's trying to answer. And his first point is, when you sow a grain, that's what he's talking about, that when thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be. And he's referring to a seed. So when you sow, sow a grain, the thing that you put in the ground is not the thing that you receive from the ground. That's the point that he's making. So if you plant some, what you plant? If you plant an apple tree, you put these liberty things in the ground. That's what you throw down. But when you harvest it, you get this big old brown thing with green leaves on it that got a whole bunch of liberty things connected to it. That's red and a whole bunch of other colors. That's what you get. But it comes from the same thing that you sowed in the ground. And that's the point that he's making. That the body that is put in the ground does not come up the same way that it goes down. And that's why he brought up grain. You put a seed of grain in the ground, but you harvest wheat. So once the thing that is sowed is sown, it transforms into another body. And that's his point. And he's going to use that to argue about what type of body we get resurrected. So y'all, y'all, we understand it. 
All right, make sure we check. In verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial one is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star different from another star. Now, we went from talking about grain to we talking about different type of bodies. So the first point, what you put in the ground comes up differently when it comes back up. Now we're saying that there are various kinds of body, that God was not limited when he made bodies, that men have one type of body, fish have another type of body, birds have another type of body. So God is not limited in his creation of bodies. So there's variation in flesh is the word that he used. What he mean by that is variation in bodies. And there's a change from when you sow to when you reap. And he says there's a celestial body and a terrestrial body. Celestial means one that is heavenly. One that is from above. Terrestrial means a body of the earth. And to argue this point, he speaks about the stars and the moon. Different types of glory, different types of bodies. So there's a radiance of the moon. When you see it out there, when it's full and it's bright, it's a beautiful thing and it radiates. But it's not the same type of radiation and glory that the sun possesses. That's his point. So there's different type of bodies. There's different type of glories. And when things are sown, they come up differently than when they are sown. So this is his point. Y'all, we, we tracking with him. Make sure everybody understands. God ain't limited in the bodies that he made. When God sows something, he has the ability to transform into becoming something other than what was sown. And there's different type of glories that God things radiate differently. There are stars, there are suns, moons, all these different things. They radiate completely differently. And now he goes into it at his point. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So just like a grain goes down and comes up something differently, our body is going to go down and come up completely different than how they're sown. So when we put these bodies in the ground, when we bury them, when we spend all that money to put on that good little show, to throw dirt on a cement slab, the thing that you put under that cement is sown in corruption. What do you mean by sown in corruption? It is decaying. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Our cells die. Our skin get old and it gets saggy. Like I said, our hair cells, follicles, they fall out and stop growing. All these things happen to us. We, we start to ache and pain and certain chemicals stop growing and being produced within our body. These bodies stop. They're corrupt. They're dying. They're decaying. But you say you sow a decaying thing, you sow a dying thing, and you receive something that cannot die. You receive something that cannot decay. You receive something that's going to last forever. That you sow something that has been dishonored. God gave us a glorious body. Beautiful thing. But through years of rebellion, we have completely disrespected what it is that God has given us. So when you lay it down, you sow, it's something that has been dishonored. But you're going to raise it up 
And it's going to be this honorable, glorious thing that God takes delight in. You saw it in weakness and frailty, but it's going to be raised up in power. So our body's going to change. Now we're limited in what we can do. But there's going to be a day where we have a power beyond our imagination. Now we die and decay, but there's going to be a day where you ain't going to die no more. Where pain ain't going to take control of you no more. Hurt and sorrow ain't going to be a part of your existence anymore. This is our destiny. And that's the difference in the sowing. Are we understanding what we're saying? This is our hope. That now you can play and you can run and, you, and your knees get to aching. And you get those reminders that you ain't quite 18 no more. Anybody ever had that? You think about the moment where you first realized that? It's like, whoa, man. Some ain't quite the same. I remember one time I, I played basketball. I love defense. Like Dennis Rodman, one of my favorite players. And I took pride in I can beat anybody's shot. Whether you're doing anything, it, it don't matter. The slowest are the slow, the quickest are the quick. And I got to this point where I ain't play no more. And then they started going to church and they had their little church lead thing. I'm like, yeah, man, I play basketball. I can do that. But I didn't realize, like, if you stop doing something for a long time, you just can't start back at the same pace that you stopped. I didn't understand that. Because as long as I can remember, man, stretching, like, you go to practice, go talking about stretch, I don't do that. Y'all doing all that for, what's the use of that? Man, you don't, man, you never pull no muscle. Get out there, let's play ball. And man, going to church league, see, I was playing with guys who kept playing. See, they were smarter than I was. And this one guy was checking him. He's like, man, this old dude, man, he ain't do nothing. So I'm get down. I'm finna take the ball from him. Dude, make a move. I got him. The next thing I know, he was around me. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> These things don't work. Then after going up and down a couple of times, I ain't realize you had muscles like up in here. I never knew that all my life. Like, it's, it's some real muscles down up in there. Until I got out my defensive stand and had to run down the court like this a little bit. <laughs> and I say, this stuff don't work no more. Like, you know, in your lower back, it's like muscles back there. The stuff that's supposed to be exercised and all that, I never knew that. Until, like I said, I got the playing and jumping and doing it. Like, this stuff hurts. My body don't quite work the same way it used to. Like, what's going on? And I know everybody in this room, not everybody, some of y'all still young, but everybody going to have that moment where you realize stuff don't quite work the way it's supposed to work. Like, hold up, I ain't the same. And that's because this body is dying. But that's going to come a day. Well, I ain't going to have to worry about that no more. That I'm going to play basketball I think. I hope so. Again. And I ain't got to worry about them little muscles right there tightening up on me that I ain't realize I even had down there. <laughs> because this body is going to be transformed. Now watch this Paul's argumentation go on a different level. In verse 44. It said, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last, last Adam was made a quickening spirit. 
Howbeit that was not first which was spiritual, that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither do corruption inherit incorruption. And Paul is showing this picture is that once these bodies are transformed, that this first man, Adam, that's who we all take after. That's our father. We get all that we got from him. But we have a new father, a new generation has taken place in what we call the new birth. Our destiny go back to this first dude, this second dude we call Jesus Christ, the Lord from heaven. And he's saying to the same degree that you bore the image of the first one, you're going to bear the image of the second one. It's to the same degree. Now, that's a question. going to seem quite simple and a little stupid. But how many of you how many people in here look like human beings? Okay. How many of you has the ability to die? Okay, we all got that ability. So we all look like human beings. We all have the ability to die. How many of you have bones and blood, muscles and tissues in your body? We all got that. All right. We're going 100% so far. How many of you? Now, this is going to get a little bit deeper right here. How many of you have seen evidence of corruption in your soul? What I mean by that is you got have some sinful tendencies that Sometimes you thought about you shouldn't be doing something, you knew it wrong, but you still did anyway. Just any time in your life. How many, how many people ever had that? Okay. Alright, so we seem to be unanimous for the most part. That's a testimony to me that all y'all look like Adam. Adam was a man. Adam had a body. And Adam was made subject to corruption and vanity. That once he sinned, sin took over his whole body. And that didn't skip anybody. We all got it. And what Paul's argument is, to that same degree, those who believe in Jesus, those who are no longer just carnal people, but we've been redeemed. Now we're spiritual, we're heavenly people. So just like you bore the image of the earthly, you shall bear the image of the heavenly. So you should expect the same thing that you got from Adam to flow to you from Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. Just like he was when he rose, so shall you be to the same degree. That's our hope and our expectation. When Jesus got up out the grave, he was sown with a man beaten, marred beyond comparison. They said they could not even recognize him. Flesh and tissue torn off of his body. He was brutally beaten but when he rose from the grave he rose with all power completely transformed body completely different from what it was that's the way you're going to be 
That's the thing that is going to happen to you. And just like you took after Adam, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to take after him. You're going to be made perfect just like he was made perfect. You're going to be completely transformed just like he was transformed. And just like you took on the corruption of Adam, you take on the righteousness of Christ. That's who we are. And it's to the same degree. And please don't let nobody cheat you and think that the corruption you got from Adam is stronger than the righteousness you get from Jesus. Because Paul said they parallel. Just like you took after the first one, you're going to take after the second one. Just like you got evil and weakness from this one, you're going to get righteousness and power from this one. This who we are. And we got the first fruits of it through the spirit of God, which is the spirit living in us. So we should see signs of revival in us. We should see signs of renewal in us. And that's the promise that one day our whole thing going to change. And if we don't see the first fruits now, we have no hope for the thing to come. If God can't come inside me and change me now, what reason do I have to believe that one day he's going to make good on his word? Because now he told me he can make me righteous. That he said he put his spirit in me and that spirit going to cause me to live in a certain way. So if he can't do it now, what reason do I have to believe that it's going to happen later? But we have the first fruits now. And you should see change and transformation in yourself now. And that's a sign to you that transformation is coming later. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So we're going to be changed, but the change begins now. And one day it's going to go all the way through this body. But this body is going to change. Let's keep tracking a little bit. 51, it said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is our hope. Death has been defeated. Second Timothy 1.10 refers to Jesus as the one who abolished death. No longer shall we die. We're going to conquer death. The grave can't hold you down. One day you're going to get up just like Jesus did. That's why they said death, where's your victory? Jesus died and was buried, but defeated death. And just like Jay pointed out the other week, Jesus beat it by himself. Every other person that we saw got resurrected. Jesus called Lazarus from the grave. It took Jesus to go to the grave and get Lazarus up. Elijah brought some, uh, some people back from the dead. But Elijah had to go and get some people up. Jesus made the statement that you destroy this temple referring to his body and I'm going to rebuild it after three days. Jesus took on death and defeated it himself. Death couldn't hold him. He conquered death. And what they're saying is, is that since he defeated death, 
He's going to defeat it on your behalf. So you're going to do the same thing. The grave ain't going to hold you. You're not going to be forever dying. But victory, you're going to rise and come up out the grave. Isaiah 26, 19 says that all the dead bodies shall come up. That the earth going to vomit the dead that is in it. That we're going to rise out of the dust. This is our hope. This is our destiny. That we shall not be defeated by death. Death is not the end for us. We're going to live forever. In the very presence of God. And it ain't just going to be, like I said, some little mystical things floating on cloud, cloud with wings. That we're going to have a body, a brand new redeemed body that shall never die. That shall never feel pain. That shall never experience hurt. Hurt. This is our hope. We going to live forever. Beautiful. But the question becomes, because Revelation, we read it last week, talked about these dead folks, the folks who do not believe in Jesus, that they going to come before the throne of God and they're going to be cast into this lake that's burned with everlasting fire. So we're creative mysteries. Let, let, let's track a little bit. Go to John. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Let's start at 19. And this is Jesus speaking. And he's going to introduce some things that not all that commonly talked about. Said, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and sheweth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And he hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. And they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the father which hath sent me. Now, Jesus is, is, is messed some things up. So he painted this picture of himself. Basically all he's saying is I'm the final judge. When it all said and done. Everything I do I'm doing because the father sent me. But one of the things he gets given to me is judgment. The father is not going to judge. I'm going to judge. And the judgment that I judge is going to be just. Then he makes the statement. Marvel not at this. The people who hear my word. And believe in him that sent me. They shall not die. I'm going to raise them up. We all understand that. That's our hope. If we believe on the Son, we shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's our hope. We all understand that. That if we believe in Jesus, 
Death is not for us. He's going to raise us up at the last day. But then he add a little something. He said, marvel not at this. Because the hour is coming with everybody in the graves. So every person who has died is going to hear the voice of God. And they're going to be raised up. Some to everlasting life. And it says some to everlasting damnation. You got some folks that do good and you got some folks that do evil. But the picture is everybody is going to rise. Resurrection is for us all. The wicked and the righteous going to rise again. Everybody's coming up out the ground. There is no annihilation. There is no time where you just die and you just going on about your merry way. You cease to exist. Everybody is coming back. Everybody's going to be raised up. Go to Daniel chapter 12. No, go to, go to Acts 24. Acts 24 first. Acts chapter 24. Verse 14. Acts 24, 14. And this is Paul speaking. Giving a defense of himself and what it was that he was preaching. He said, but this I confess unto thee. That after the way which they call heresy, so worship I God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. All right. This is Paul speaking. Like I worship God according to the way that they call heresy. He's referring to the Jews. And he said he believed all things which were written in the law and in the prophets. So everything that Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah them wrote, this is what he believed. Now he's going to explain to you what that is. He's saying have hope towards God was they themselves also a law, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. So this is Paul. This is say, this is what I preach. This is the reason why they got me before you. Because I worship God in the way. He's talking about the way of Christ. And I believe everything that the prophets wrote. So what Moses and them talked about, what Isaiah, what Jeremiah, all the stuff that they talked about, this is what I believe. And the things that I believe, they agree with this stuff. That there's coming a day of resurrection. And it's going to be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Everybody shall rise. Are y'all understanding? You're going to get up out the ground one day. Death is not the end. These bodies are going to be recreated. And it's going to come up a completely different body than what it was thrown down. Whether you're righteous or whether you're wicked, God going to bring you back. The dust going to spit you up. That's part of God's eternal destiny. This is life after death. Resurrection. And it's both for the just and the unjust. Because a long time, maybe y'all was smarter than me. I heard people preach and I thought that resurrection is the hope of the righteous. This is what God got for the people that believe in him. And everybody else, they're just going to be in hell, just, just down now. What they're going to be like, I have no idea. But that's wrong. Everybody is getting up. And this leads me to a couple conclusions. If everybody is going to rise... And if we add it to what we talked about last week, that our consciousness and our understanding continues after death, 
That means a couple things cannot be true. One of those things is this idea of reincarnation. Reincarnation ain't real. You don't come back as some type of animal. You don't come back in some other form or in some previous life that you keep getting all these chances to do this thing over and over again. The you that exists now never existed before you began to exist. But you're going to always exist as you. Because God is going to bring you back. And your conscience continues after death. Your memory, your understanding, the vitality of who you are continues once you exit this world. And it's going to be reunited with a body that is yours. So that means you don't come back. You don't get to be no animal, no little bird. That pretty little bird that started coming to your window ever since your granny died, that ain't your granny. That's not who that is. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That little cat that just started showed up on your porch and you ain't never seen it before. <laughs> it, it, it didn't show up to Auntie died. And she had that gray patch and it got a little silver patch right there on the side by the ear just like her little gray patch used to be. That ain't your auntie. Your auntie is either with God or separated from him. But she still exists as your auntie. Not that little cat that just showed up and you feed it and doing all that stuff. And you never want any animals, but now you love this one because that's the spirit of your auntie. Just come to comfort you and let you know, baby, everything going to be all right. That's a lie. Auntie still exists. And auntie consciousness and all that stuff is spirit goes back to God who gave it, as Ecclesiastes say. And one day, auntie ain't going to get no cat body. Her own body going to be brought back for her. Whether she's just or unjust, this is the destiny that we have. But it also leads me to another conclusion. And we're going to get there. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Let's hold it. We're going to pick up at verse 1. But this leads me to another conclusion. Since everybody is raised and resurrection is real, That means that once I die, and I've said this before, I have to keep saying it because I keep running into it. I don't transform into no angel. God don't get his angel back when I die. Because that's not who I am. Like I said, it look good in the movie. I'm saying you see the spirit floating up with the wings and all that good little stuff. and It, it look good. And it look very hopeful and all that, but that ain't real. You're going to see a spirit floating up, but it's going to be your spirit. The same one that you got. And God is going to reunite it with your body. You don't transform into another type of being. You still are a human being. And another conclusion I reached, watch this, Daniel chapter 12. Say, at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince was standing for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as it was never since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. 
some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This is Daniel's conclusion of what's going on in the latter days. But notice what he says. Everybody who is found written in the book shall be delivered. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So now he makes a parallel. You got the ones that going to get everlasting life, ones that going to get everlasting contempt. Paul talked about the same thing, the resurrection of the just, resurrection of the unjust. Jesus said you got those that do good and those that do wickedly. So we got these two categories of people that are resurrected. But if we believe that those who believe in Jesus shall live forever in the presence of God, we must take the parallel because Daniel make them as parallel statements. So just like some get everlasting life, others are going to get everlasting contempt. So the contempt that they receive and the shame that they receive has to continue to the same duration that the life that we receive. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And so there's this growing move amongst Christians. And it's the idea that hell or punishment is not eternal. That the fires of hell going to one day burn out. That we going to just burn and our punishment is going to end. It's a, it's a growing popular thing. You mostly see it on the internet. But like I said, you learn a whole lot of stuff that you ain't supposed to learn on the internet. But if Daniel know what he's talking about, better than the, the dude that be blogging on the internet, the life that we receive and the judgment they receive runs parallel. So that means if you are unjust, God is going to raise you up one day, bring you before his throne to be judged, give you a brand new body. D. You know, I always think I can't talk about this without pausing right there. That seems cruel a little bit, though. Yeah. Like God going to bring you up. You've been in torment. And he's going to give you a brand new body. To judge you. Then put you in another torment. That's deep. And if the same thing that Paul was saying about the transformation of this body applies to the body that the unjust get. That's even deeper. Because he said it's sown corruption and it's going to be raised incorruptible. So if they get an incorruptible one that's going to be thrown into this place of burning in this place of perishing, now I can understand Jesus' words that it's a place where the worm died not. Because when he makes the statement that the worm died not, we understand that the worms and the maggots show up then when, when what happened? When your body started decaying. So once your body decaying, the worms and the maggots show up. And they exist as long as there is flesh to eat. Once they eat all the flesh off the bone, they start dying. Jesus said, in the time of judgment, the worm is never going to die. So that means it's always going to be what? Some flesh for them to eat. 
It always going to be some decay. It always going to be some evil, some, some, some stuff for them to feast on. Jesus said that this eternal place, this lake that burns with fire, is a place where the fire does not go out. So that means it will never completely consume the thing that is burning. And so that sounds like that the body that we receive if we are unjust parallels the body that we receive if we are righteous. You won't get an everlasting brand new body. Praise God. But what's going to happen to it? Either it's going to be blessed forever, working and reigning and ruling with God on a brand new created earth, or it's going to be damned forever, being punished and perishing forever in a brand new place of destruction. Those are our options. But we have hope that just like them folks get a new body, we going to come up and God going to recreate our bodies as well. So the question for us to wrestle with is not what happens to us. It's not how long we going to be doing whatever it is that we do. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Watch, watch this beautiful, beautiful thing. We're just going to hop on the good part. We're going to stay on the good part. We're going to leave the everlasting dying body alone. Revelations chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20. We're just going to read verse 6. 20. Revelations 20. And we're just going to read verse 6 because I said we're going to leave the bad stuff alone. So we're stuck in the middle right here. It said, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is the blessing that he bestows. So there's a category of people out of these folks that are going to be raised. He say, death has no power over them, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So if we are in this resurrection of the just, one day you're going to be living and dwelling with Christ and say, you're going to be a priest of God. God, the chief priest, you, the co-priest, and he said, you're going to reign with him. Dominion is going to be given to you to execute judgment. You're going to have some power one day. That's amazing. And the thing, that little nebbyhead project boy who came from them bricks that didn't even have no AC. Sometimes it was hotter in my room than it was outside. <laughs> in there, no AC. Got that little fan. That one of the blades always break on it, so it just be shaking up. <laughs> <laughs> Now this dude, the same dude who could not graduate elementary school that got in so much trouble, the principal said, we just going to send him to junior high because we don't want to deal with him no more. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm going to have to bring that report card to show y'all. 
Well, she scratched out because you used to have them Scantron report cards. And so everything was already printed out. And she scratched out at the bottom and had a little box that said promoted to. Then they just type in the grade. Mine say a whole bunch of scribble and wrote on the top of it, move to. <laughs> no exaggeration. That's literally what she did. Like, well, she ain't got to do that. <laughs> but that's what she did. Scratch that thing out and put move to on there. I got moved to the sixth grade so that I could hurry up and get out the sixth grade and go to the seventh grade and get out of school. Because her understanding of this little nappy head, fat nose joker, that by the time he turned 18, if he ain't laid in the street somewhere dead, he's going to be in prison. This is what the great leader of my elementary school had to tell to my mama about me. But that dude, who could not make it out of elementary school, going one day be a king in the very presence of God, that going one day sit in a recreated earth. And Paul in second, second, yes, First Corinthians chapter 5 talk about we going to one day judge angels. That the beings that the church folk tell you you need to pray to see, they're going to be looking to see me. That they're going to have disputes that I'm going to have to sort them out. A little nappy-headed, nothing joker, straight from the bricks of the west side of Montgomery, going to be reigning and ruling on streets made of gold. In the very presence of God. That's amazing. I wonder my nose still going to be fat. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too, man. Like, <laughs> God, gee, let me keep my nose, man. <laughs> but this is the destiny that we gonna have. Like I said, don't, don't let them folk fool you. You ain't gonna just be, you know what I'm saying, playing harps and floating on clouds, singing good guitar music all the time. Lord, I lift your name on high. No, you gonna be working, and you are gonna be working and reigning and ruling with God. We're going to be kings and priests in the very presence of God in a stately way, in a glorious body. When Jesus went on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that his visage, talking about his face, was changed or transformed before them and he began to radiate. So his whole appearance was changed and he begins to shine and he began to glow. That's that glory that we got. And that one day we're going to get the same type of glory. That's what Daniel was talking about. Said those who win many to Christ said they're going to shine like the stars in heaven. Those who do well and live in righteousness, they're going to shine. So your body going to be changed and you ain't going to have to put all that grease on there. You ain't going to have to do all that. You ain't going to have to be running from mama once you're trying to catch it when you get on the bus and lick that thumb. Get them little boogers that you just missed, even though you said you wash your face and you was in the bathroom by 10 minutes, but you still got a booger right there in, in the middle of your eye. And mama just put that little hot breath all on you and trying to get that stuff out your face. Don't act like y'all didn't do it. If you ain't did it, it happened to you. <laughs> I'm going to be shining. And our whole way going to change. It's going to go 
completely transformed. Like Vaseline, they're going to go out of business. Maybelline and all that other stuff, it, it, it ain't going to exist. You're going to have your glow. And you can sing like the old movie. Let your soul glow. <laughs> because we going to be transformed. Are y'all with me? So this is what we got. One day, all of us going to die. We have no idea when it is or how long it's going to be. For some of us, it's going to be short. For some of us, it's going to be long. And even for the long ones, that's still short because life is very short. But after we die, we're going to be plummeted in the very presence of God or we're going to be separated from the very presence of God. Either you're going to enter into eternal joy or you're going to enter into torment. For those who enter into torment, one day they're going to be raised and brought before the great throne of God to be judged. In the very place that they will be in torment and at it, and the new bodies that they got going to be cast into another eternal place of torment. But for us who enter into the joy of God, one day we're going to come back with God, shining like the cloud, I mean shining like the sun, radiant, riding upon the clouds. Our whole nature going to be changed and we're going to come back on this earth with Jesus and he's going to destroy all the right, all, all the wicked. And we're going to get brand new bodies and he's going to recreate this planet. No more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, no more running and in, 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 in ducking and dodging from bullets and all that type stuff. We're going to be made brand new and we're going to reign and we're going to rule right here on this planet with God. That's our destiny, the destiny of all human beings. So the choice that we have to make is which route do we choose? Do you choose the route of the righteous or the route of the wicked? But you're going to get one of them. Everybody. Ain't no middle ground. The Catholics lied to you when they talked about purgatory. That's a lie. You enter into joy or you enter into torment immediately. You're going to be raised in righteousness or you're going to be raised in damnation one day once you're judged. Anybody got any questions? So Jesus says that there will be no judgment for essentially the righteous. The Verse that we read in, I can't remember, was it? Talking about John 5? Mm-hmm. Can you um, talk about that? Because I know we've been talking about everyone being judged at the end. And so, can we make sense of that? What's, what's part are you talking about? Where he talks about the resurrection. He talks about. Was that John? That's John 5. Okay. Where it talks about judgment being his. 24. Verse 24. Okay. Then we said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him, that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Yes. That's all you're talking about? Yes. Yes. What he's talking about is not not that they shall not be judged. He said they won't come into condemnation. So we, the damnation or the, uh, the the punishment that comes from the throne of God in judgment, they won't enter into that because they have passed from death into life. And so that shows you Christ's understanding of death and life. Because we get the idea that Death is once we cease to exist on this earth. 
and life is why we living on this earth. But scripturally, death is separation from God and life is union with God. So when you say they pass from death to life, he's saying these people, they went from a state of being separated from God and has transformed into the state of being in union with God. So therefore, they won't enter into condemnation. That, that makes sense to you. So that's what he meant. So that's why we can talk about we shall receive eternal life. But scripture talk about everybody going to live forever. So what do you mean when you say we're going to get eternal life, but they're going to live forever for two? Because eternal life is not living forever. It's that union and that life of the eternal one dwelling with us. It's that union and communion with God that is life. They're going to have eternal damnation. That's why he talked about the second death. Like they're going to die again. They died the first time when they were cast into hell. But there's coming another death when they brought them to judgment and cast into the lake of fire. He said, we don't touch that second death. That, that makes sense to you. Are supernovas a part of the fall of man? Are supernovas a part of the fall of man? I'm not sure. I never thought about that. I'm going to have to look into that. Why does Jesus call the new place New Jerusalem? Why does he call it New Jerusalem? Because it's a continuation of the thought that starts in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. So Jerusalem was the place that God chose as his home on earth. So the Israelites were going to be the people of God, the priests of God. And Jerusalem is the place that he referred to with Moses that he chose to put his name there. So it's the place of the temple. It was considered the place of the very presence of God. So the new Jerusalem is a recreation of that, the place where God dwells and lives in the midst of his people. So that's why they call it the new Jerusalem. In new Jerusalem, will you be able to sleep or rest? Will you be able to sleep or rest? There will be no need for sleep or rest. It's like if you read on in Revelations 21 through 22, it talks about there not being any sun or moon anymore because God himself going to be the light of it. And so our body is going to be so new. You won't need to sleep or rest. Now, will you just go to sleep? I don't know. The Bible don't say. But you won't need any. And you're going to be at rest, at ease for the rest of eternity. But you're still going to be working, though. Why do we have dreams? Why do we have dreams? The Bible gives us a couple reasons for dreams. One, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes said, dreams comes through much busyness of flesh. And what he means by that is if your body is so active and your mind is so activated that when you sleep, your brain don't stop working. It continues. So that's why sometimes you, you be playing your little game over and over again and you playing Tetris or y'all don't play Tetris. Whatever y'all play, Candy Crush or whatever it is you're playing on your thing and sometimes you see those little blocks and things going on in your sleep. It's because your mind is still active and it's still going. So that's one reason the Bible said we get dreams. It said dreams come through much busyness of flesh. But the Bible also shows and demonstrates to us that sometimes God speaks to us in our dreams. So sometimes he gives you a vision in your dreams. Sometimes he gives you a visitation where God himself comes and he visits you within your dreams. Because your mind, your spirit, your soul, all those things are still active. It's just your body is at rest while you sleep. When you die, do you go straight to heaven or hell? Or do you like in a deep rest? You go straight to heaven or hell. Will there be crying in heaven? Will there be crying in heaven? Revelations and the new heaven and new earth tells us that there will be no crying no more at that point. Before that point, I don't think so, but 
Scripture doesn't clearly say. But what if you're like sad because you see a relative or a friend or somebody in hell? From the way Revelation and a couple of the stories Jesus tells, there's a void and there's a separation. So we, we're not in heaven just looking around and seeing what's going on. So we ain't up there just watching what happened on earth. And we ain't just looking down like, who, who down there in hell? No, we're going to be busily engaged with God. But in Revelation, it talks about the time of judgment where it said there's silence in heaven for a good little minute. So something going to happen that's going to be so amazing where everybody's going to shut up. Now, would that be a time of heaviness and sorrow? I don't know, but that's all we get. But it's coming a time where God's going to wipe every tear from every person's eye. And that's at the end in the regeneration and the recreation is a part of the resurrection. In Genesis 6, okay. um, it talks about the sons of God seeing the daughters of men. In this, are the sons of God not humans? Are the sons of God not humans? See, now you're cheating. Now you're trying to take it. I'm very limited in, in the amount of messages I got. <laughs> In a couple months, we're going to walk through Jesus. <laughs> but I answer it this way, to leave the mystery. We got references to the sons of God being humans, referred to Adam as the son of God. And we got reference to the sons of God being heavenly beings, as in Job chapter 1, referred to the sons of God coming before the very presence of God. So it could be humans. It could be some type of celestial being. You wrestle with it until we walk through Genesis. <laughs> what do you think? When you read it, what do you see? It doesn't seem like they're humans because it talks about the daughters of men. And it's like they're not. Why didn't they just say, "Man slept with the with the daughters"? I guess. And then these, when the sons of God slept with the daughters of men, they made giants. So it's like they made some other thing. They made some other thing. Now, nah, see. All right, I'm gonna leave you with that mystery a little bit, but I want you to read it. Yeah. Then I'm gonna tell you something. We just read four and five. Yeah. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, and and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. You can stop right there. Now, what does it say that the sons of men slept with the women and created giants. It says, okay, it doesn't say that, Derek. It doesn't say that at all. That's what they say on the internet. But like I said, Mm, Okay.
How do we see God? So how do we see God? We see God in a multiple different ways. The first way we see God is when God come visit us and he show us understanding of who he is. And the primary way we see God is when God comes to live inside of us and he changes us and to make us new people. So that's how God show us himself by his works and the things that he do in the earth. And sometimes he might give you a dream and a vision, but most time it's through him coming and living inside of you and making you know who he is. That makes sense? Any other questions? Um, I just wonder what was the significance of the 12 tribes and like with the end times and death and life and everything, because, you know, we follow the lineage of them from Genesis to, you know, to the mm-hmm. end. I'm just wondering. What do you mean by what was the significance? What? I guess their roles, because you're saying we have roles, not you're saying the word tells us we have roles as different things we're going to do. Um, are we looking at them different? Are we separate from them or what? Maybe I need to do a study on that myself and try to find out. I don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, at all? I think I get what you're saying. So basically, like, are the twelve tribes? When you say the twelve tribes, are you talking about the heads of the tribes? Are those who fall under those twelve tribes? Are are they elevated or separated out in any type of special way? That's the question. You're talking about those who fall under that tribe, those tribes. Well, just because it seemed like it seemed like it was so important, as because I'm reading in the Old Testament and it's just mentioned a lot, you know, the lineage and this one begat this one and all that. And there's obviously significance because Jesus came from that lineage. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just wondering what significance is that like towards the end? There is some, but there is none. The significance of the 12 tribes or this, the nation of Israel itself is they were the people chosen of God. Through them we got Messiah. Through them we got the oracles of God. So all the revelation and blessing, God chose them as the vehicle by which to send blessing throughout the rest of the world. So they was designated to be the light of the world. They failed in that mission. But God brought from them the true son of God. Messiah himself, who was the true light of the world, who brought light and blessing throughout all the nations of the world. And so the significance of the tribe is that the Messiah came through them. Revelation and scripture came through them. And beyond that, there is no extra significance. Because that's why the, the, part of the argumentation of Romans is that the Jews are blessed because God blessed them. But when it comes to life, we have concluded that all are under sin. And that all are saved by faith through grace. So there is no special blessing in the sense of salvation for the Jews that is not extended to all the rest of the world. Now they are God's chosen people, but they was chosen by God as a vehicle to manifest who he is in the world. So that's the significance of the quote unquote the 12 tribes of the household of Israel. We are grafted into that branch as the people of God. But the separation that, that exists as you see through the Old Testament disappears once we're in Messiah. Because Christ is the true Israel and we're in him and we become partakers of the nations and the blessings of the nation. But does that mean that God is finished with Israel? Scripture doesn't say that. He still has a blessing for the physical seed of Abraham. That's part of the restoration. 
and how they was able to come back and regather their nation after all these years of separation. And God put his name on them as a sign of his faithfulness and as a sign of his blessing, as a testimony to the rest of the world that our God is a faithful God. Look at how he's dealing with Israel. That I And so we understand that. But when it comes to eternity, you're going to be just as blessed as Joseph was blessed. Because Jesus said in his own mouth that the least in the kingdom of God is the greatest. That out of all the prophets, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. And the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. So the smallest person that's in the kingdom of God, you can say that you up there with Moses. Because God's spirit dwells inside of you and you get to herald the final message of Messiah. Walking with the very spirit of God in you. Bringing in the very kingdom of God. That's your destiny as a human being. Moses didn't have that. He got to look forward to it. But you get to see the reality. It makes any sense. Kind of to add on to her question. There's a, there's a passage I don't know where it is in the in the. Um, in one of the four gospels talking about how where Jesus tells the disciples you'll be you'll reign over the 12 tribes, tribes of yeah. Israel. So her question made me think about that. I don't know if that's along the lines of what you were asking, but how does that play into cuz it sounded like he was talking about the life to come. Mhm. So how does that play into what you're saying? And it goes like if you read in, in towards the end through Revelation and when it talks about the new city Jerusalem really throughout the epistles it gives this picture it talks about these 12 pillars on one side said they are the 12 tribes of Israel they represent the 12 tribes of Israel then there's another 12 said these represent the 12 apostles and the picture is is that this is the foundation of the new kingdom Uh, I think is is it Ephesians where you refer to uh, is Ephesians or Corinthians where we refer to the apostles as being the foundation that Christ himself is the chief cornerstone and the apostles in their doctrine is the foundation of the church and so we get we built on top of them and what he references to is the message and the reality that they bring so it all started with the twelve and God sent the blessing out through them then he brings in the apostles and he establishes his church on them and we all receive of the faithfulness and the blessings that come through them. But yes, well, he does talk about those 12 shall judge the tribes of Israel. But it talks about the nation. That's all the Rachel reference to. But like, there's no elevated place that just because you're one of these, you get to be special than everybody else. It, Ephesians 2. Okay. But that's the one I was thinking about. And so he's he taking these prophets of old and they adding to that the apostles and this is the foundation of the church. So everything else is built on that. And Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. So that's the significance of Israel. The significance of the twelve is that we're founded on them. We don't know God. And the revelation of God came through them. That's the means that God chose to send forth his blessing into the world. But we get in on that. And so we bless with faithful Israel. That makes a little sense to you. Any other? That's it.